Welcome to the Jumpstart Your Faith podcast channel, where you will receive the essential tools to take your faith to the next level. I am your host, Brian Ratliff, and I currently pastor Clearbrook Baptist Church in Roanoke, Virginia. Here is the latest message preached from one of our services. Grab your Bible, pen, notepad, and get ready to jumpstart your faith. Today, I'd like for you to imagine with me that you're walking into my front door. And as soon as you walk into my house, you're in a large living room. And in this living room, there are pictures hanging on the wall everywhere. There are pictures on the tables everywhere. And on this picture, you see me and my pet dog that I grew up with. And on this side of the wall over here, you see a picture of me and my parents. Then in the picture over there on the back wall, you see me and all of my cousins at Christmas time. In each of those pictures, we understand that the picture over here with me and my dog is just a picture of me and my dog. That picture, we cannot transport ourselves into that moment and go back in time in that, sex, in that season. The same goes with me and my parents. The same goes if I had a picture of my graduation day right there from high school and every other picture that would be hanging up or on the tables of my house. And the same would go for the pictures at your house. It's interesting, sometimes we are told that pictures are worth a thousand words, and as we look at that picture, we recall the memories in which that picture was taken. But I want you to understand this, that if I gave you a picture of my dog, that picture is not my dog. It is just a picture of my dog. And as we come to the book of Hebrews, we see in the seventh chapter that the writer of Hebrews is relaying to us a picture of Jesus Christ in the Old Testament. That is, he has given us a picture of Christ through the character named Melchizedek. That Melchizedek was not actually Christ, he was just a picture of Christ. And today I submit to you that it is far better to have the actual person than to have the actual picture. So today, do you want the symbol of Christ or do you want the substance of who Christ is and Jesus Christ himself? Today, as we see in this passage of Scripture, throughout really the entirety of, of the book of Hebrews, really the theme is that Jesus is better than everything. That Jesus is superior to the Old Testament law. That Jesus is superior than the, to the Old Testament prophets, to Moses, to the angels, to Joshua. And here in this chapter, I believe we see that Jesus is superior and greater than Aaron. So the title of my sermon is this, Jesus is greater than Aaron. Jesus is greater than Aaron. We understand who Aaron was. Aaron was a high priest. He was really the first priest that was set up underneath the Levitical priesthood. And we see that the, these verses, verses 11 through 28, are devoted wholly and completely to elaborating about Aaron and his priesthood and where it lacked and needed uh, assistance by the greatest high priest, Jesus Christ. So my question is simply this is do you want a picture of who Christ is, or do you want Christ himself? That being said, I want to ask and answer this question today. Why is Jesus greater than Aaron? Perhaps Aaron was the greatest high priest in the Old Testament. But when we think about the New Testament, he fails in comparison to the greatest high priest, Jesus Christ. And today I want to share with you three thoughts from these verses. And I know it's quite a few verses, so I promise we'll get out of here before 5 p.m. tonight. <laughs> But in verses 11 and through 19, I wrote down this first thought I want to share with you. Jesus is greater than Aaron because his priesthood is complete perfection. Jesus is greater than Aaron because his priesthood is complete perfection. 
in these first several verses, we see the writer of Hebrews is going back to the Levitical law system, going back to the Torah, going back to the Pentateuch, and specifically looking into the role of the priest pertaining to the nation of Israel, particularly the high priest. And we understand that then Aaron failed and Jesus stepped in where he failed. Where the law was incomplete, Jesus makes it totally complete. In fact, in verse number 11, we see that the term, if therefore, remember, whenever we see therefore or wherefore, we have to pause and reflect on what we just read. So we see that, that the first 10 verses is devoted to, to elaborating on how Melchizedek is a picture and type of Jesus Christ and how Jesus Christ here transitioning is greater than Aaron. And then here he says that if therefore the perfection, now this term perfection here in this verse, it is an interesting term and it simply means Something that has been completely verified and is absolutely perfect. That's what this word means. So when it says, if, if therefore this Levitical priesthood system was completely verified and absolutely perfect, there would be no need for the great Messiah to come. And here in, the, in verses 11 and 12, the thought I want to relate to you is this is that the, pur pur the purpose of the law was to reveal man's imperfection as a sinner. The purpose of the law was to reveal man's imperfection as a sinner. Here in verse number 11, we see that the Levitical priesthood was not perfect. It was not complete until Jesus comes in to fulfill all of it. Notice the, the parentheses. Whenever you see the parentheses in the scriptures, I, I believe like one preacher said or one commentator said that these are the, the notes given to us by the Holy Spirit himself. And it says, for under it the people received the law. What was the purpose of the law? Well, Paul said the law was a schoolmaster to bring us to Christ. So the law was given so that people could be, that people could understand that they are not perfect that they have blemishes, so that when we open up the Word of God and the law in the Old Testament, it reveals to us all the blemishes of our flesh. There's only one character that was without spot and blemish, and that was Jesus. And so here the law is revealing to us that, hey, we are not perfect, we are sinners, and we need the perfect sacrificial lamb called Jesus to cover us with his perfection. So here, verse number 11, the writer of Hebrews is emphasizing that, hey, if the, if 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 Melchizedek, if his order was great, and if the order of Aaron was perfect and flawless and without blemish, there would be no need for the Messiah to come. But in verse number 12, it says that the priesthood being changed. It says, there is made of a necessity of a change of a law. You see, the law was just pointing us to the New Testament, and now the Old Testament looks back to the law and how it is fulfilled through Christ. So the Old Testament would say, hey, hey, here's, here's, how, here's the prediction about the Messiah who's going to come. And now in the New Testament, we look back in all these letters in the epistles and the gospels, and we see that Jesus is the great fulfillment of the Old Testament law system. And that without Jesus, nobody can be made perfect. And then in verse number 13, look at this verse. Remember, Jesus is greater than Aaron because his priesthood is complete perfection. That is, it is the absolute perfect priesthood. Nothing else compares. In verse number 13, it says, For he of whom these things are spoken pertains to no other tribe, of which no man gave attendance at the altar. Here's the thought I also wrote down. The altar of the cross is God's greatest attempt 
to become man's redeemer. The altar of the cross is God's greatest attempt to become man's redeemer. From Genesis to Revelation, we read about the, the redemption plan, the sovereign redemption plan of God, and how God, in eternity past, set it all up, and how God gave his word to Moses, and how Moses delivered his law to the people. And then throughout the course of time, we would see that God would raise up prophets who would expound upon God's word and give God's word to the people. And God's people rejected the law that God gave to Moses. God's people throughout the Old Testament rejected as a whole God's prophets and the words that God gave to them to speak. And we see that God himself ultimately came down and inhabited humanity. And here when I read verse number 13, we read about an altar in the Old Testament, how they would bring the lambs and they would sacrifice these altars on the altars. And we see the greatest altar was when the Lamb of God was slain on the cross of Calvary. And it was in that moment when he fulfilled the Old Testament prophecies. And it is through the work that Christ made on the cross, now we can come to know him as our personal Lord and Savior. Now check it out now, understand me, that God has done everything within his capability so that mankind could come to know him personally. God clothed himself with humanity. In fact, as I, as I think about this section right here, as I think about here about the altar, I think about what Paul said, how that Jesus was made of no reputation. And there he took upon himself the form of a servant. And he became obedient all the way to the death of the cross. He is our Redeemer. The book of Ruth speaks about how Jesus, the Messiah, would be our kinsman, Redeemer, how he would come and redeem us from our brokenness and our wickedness and sinfulness. In verse number 14, down through 19, as we continue this thought about his priesthood as complete perfection, it's perfect because he is our redeemer. It's perfect because he can turn us from sinners into saints. But, but check this out. As I read these last few verses of this first part of the passage, I thought about this. The law is only completed through the finished work of Christ our Savior. The law is only completed through the finished work of Christ our Savior. You see, without Jesus Christ, the law is, I say this respectively, pointless. If the Messiah never came, and if the Messiah would never come, then the whole Old Testament is pointless. Look at verse 14. The writer says, it is evident that our Lord sprang out of Judah. Now, if you know anything about the Levitical priesthood, you know that they came through the tribe of Levi. The Levites were the priest. You had to be in that tribe to be considered a priest. And then in order to be considered a high priest, you had to go through the whole system. And here he says that, that it is evident that Moses... Now, by the way, there are some people out there who, who would think that the first five books of the Bible, the Torah, the Pentecost, were not written by Moses. But Jesus himself and the New Testament writers, I believe, affirm that the first five books of the Bible were written by the human man named Moses. And here it says, of which Moses did not speak concerning the priesthood. We understand all of those things are written in, in Le Leviticus. And Moses is the human penman. And here he didn't write about how, how the high priest, the great high priest, the Messiah, would come through the lineage of Levi. The Old Testament reveals that he came through the tribe of Judah. And he is the lion of the tribe of Judah. And that is why the law is only fulfilled through Christ. Verse 15, the Bible says, And it is yet far more evident 
For that after the similitude of Melchizedek, there arises another priest. So here's a great example of verse 15 revealing that Melchizedek is just simply a type. Remember back in verse number 4, the writer of Hebrews called Melchizedek just a man. As just scripture doesn't record his beginning or ending, doesn't record his genealogy. And here we see another aspect that, that, that if, if this whole system was perfect, then why would Jesus and the Messiah have to come? And then now read verse number 16. Here we see the fulfillment of the law coming into play. It says, who was made not after the law of a carnal commandment, but after the power of an endless life. I want you to know this, that Jesus experienced physical death but he never died. I know that doesn't make sense, but it's true. Jesus experienced a physical death, but he never died. From the standpoint that he continues to live forever and ever. He rose victoriously from the grave. He defeated our temporal death, but he is alive and forever reigning in glory right now. His life, his existence, if you will. May I just rephrase it here? Jesus' existence never began and never ends. And that's what I believe the writer is referring to right here in verse number 16. Because he has the power over death, the power over life, because he's the one who created it all. And then we see that a few times here in this chapter, back in the first 10 verses, and here in these last several verses, we see that in our text today, twice, the writer of Hebrews recalls back into Psalm 110 about Melchizedek. And here it says he testifies. The Old Testament is testifying that Jesus is the Messiah, that he is the Son of God. And it says, thou art a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. And then look at verse number 18. The Bible says, for there is verily a disannoying. This word disannoying might be an intimidating word for us all, but all it simply means is a cancellation or a putting away. So, so if I could, may I read it like this? For there is verily a cancellation or putting of away or a disannulling of the commandment going before the weakness and unprofitableness thereof. You see, where the law was weak, Christ made it strong. Where the, wa- where the law was incomplete, Christ makes it complete. Now look, here's where it's leading us to. Verse number 19, here's the evidence. It says, for the law made nothing perfect. You can try to keep the Ten Commandments your whole life, and it's never going to make you perfect. (laughs) At some point, you're going to stumble and fall and mess up. And here the law says here, right here, this is Bible, man. This is not in Second Opinions chapter 3. This is in Hebrews chapter 7. It says, for this law, for the law made nothing perfect. It didn't make anybody of us complete. All it did was show us our incompleteness without Christ. And then it says, but the bringing in of a better hope. Now, what is that referring to, my, my fellow Bible scholars? Well, of course, ding, ding, ding. It's talking about Jesus. And it says he is the greatest hope by the which we draw nigh to God. The only way you can draw nigh to God or near to God is through a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. You can come and talk to me or Brother Andrews or Pastor Dave or any other pastors in the world and they can help you and maybe pray with you. But that's not going to draw you close to God. The only way you're going to be drawn close to Christ or close to God is through Jesus Christ. The law is only completed through the finished work of Christ our Savior. Jesus is greater than Aaron because his priesthood is complete perfection. There's no blemishes. There's no no flaws in the priesthood of Jesus Christ. But now let me draw your attention to verses 20 through 27 as we move forward in our passage. Here's the second reason why Jesus is greater than Aaron. Jesus is greater than Aaron because his priesthood provides eternal salvation. 
Jesus is greater than Aaron because his priesthood provides eternal salvation. You see, Aaron came on the scene back in the Old Testament days with Moses. Moses and Aaron. And after the course that God gave Moses all the laws, Aaron rose up and became that high priest. And then all of those who came through him and, and are kind of descended from him, those are the individuals that make up that, that tribe, if you will, concerning Levi. And then we see that, that in the course of all of those high priests that came on the scene, they couldn't forgive the sins of Israel permanently. It was only temporarily. And ultimately, God temporarily allowed them to experience forgiveness through the sacrifices going into the Holy of Holies once a year. And we see that Jesus provides not just a temporal salvation, not just a temporary deliverance, but he is capable and able to provide an eternal salvation and an eternal deliverance from the torments of hell. Notice verse 20. As we read these first few verses here, down to verse 24, I thought about this. God's promise of salvation is settled because his word is unchanging. God's promise of salvation is settled because his word is unchanging. Look at verse 20. It says, And inasmuch as not without an oath he was made priest. Now let me just pause right here. And you probably already know this, but just in case you don't, in the King James Bible, the translators were, were, were very, very honest in their translation process. And whenever you see the italicized words in the English Bible here, at least in the King James, those were words that were not originally found in the, the, the original text. And so what the translators did as they were translating this passage here and many other passages, they kept the context in mind. And as they translated, they sometimes they added words in to help make sense of the passage. And here they helped us understand this because back in chapter six, in the last few verses, we see about the oath and the pledge that was made. And then here we see that in verse number 20, it says, inasmuch as not without an oath, referring back to chapter six, here it says, he was made priest. About Jesus Christ, he was made a priest after the order of Melchizedek. And then in verse 21, remember the parentheses again, God's holy, the Holy Spirit filled commentary. And it says, for those priests, these, these Old Testament priests back in the Levitical priesthood, it's referring to, those priests were made without an oath, without a pledge, without a specific promise. But it says, but this with an oath by him that said unto him, the Lord swear, this means he made a promise and an oath, and he will not repent. That means he will not change his mind about this oath he made. Thou art a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. Psalm 110, again here in verse 21, verse number 17, and back in the first 10 verses. Verse number 22, I like this verse. By so much was Jesus made a surety of a better testament. I've said this before, but for the sake of emphasis, I say this respectfully, so hear me out. The Old Testament is incomplete without the New Testament. The Old Testament is not as great as the New Testament because the New Testament fulfills the Old Testament. And so if, if you really want to understand the Old Testament, you've actually got to open up the New Testament to read it. And if you want to really understand like the context and, and all the contents of the New Testament, you got to get a firm grasp of the Old Testament. And then you got to pull them together and understand that, that, that the, the Old Testament isolated by itself is incomplete without the New Testament attached to it. And we see here that the Bible is referencing here the Old Testament. And it says a better testament. That Jesus was made a surety of a better testament. That is a better covenant promise from God. This promise was made 
Back in the Old Testament, we read in Genesis chapter 3, the promise of the Messiah to come. We read in Psalm 22 and Isaiah 53, the promise of the Messiah going to the old rugged cross and dying for our sins. We see in Psalm 110, the promise of a resurrected Savior and Messiah. And we see that we could go through all the prophecies. And here, I believe that it's just reminding us that Jesus is the fulfillment of Old Testament prophecy. And the New Testament verifies that fulfillment. And here we see that God's word is unchanging. The Old Testament and the New Testament is both God's word and they remain unchanged. No matter how many attempts our world tries to change God's word, it cannot be done. Because God's word is forever settled in heaven. Verse 23, it says, And they truly were many priests, speaking about all these priests. It was a lot of them that came into the scene. Just imagine from the generation of Aaron to the generation of Caiaphas when Jesus stood before him face to face. That was a lot of generations. Decades, centuries, and thousands of years. But it goes on to say, because they were not suffered to continue by reason of death. And I like, I like verse 24. But this man, that is this Jesus, because he continueth forever. In other words, he's saying he is the eternal one who always existed, who always is existing, and who always will ever exist. Hath an unchangeable priesthood. Now, the office of a priest in the Old Testament, it changed. Just like a pastor. One of these days, God is going to call me home. And another pastor is going to fill this spot. And the same thing for every other church. It's a changeable position. But God's priesthood, through the work of Christ, it is unchangeable, my friends. That office is not up for a new election. Hallelujah. Praise His name. His word remains unchanging. And because His word is unchanging, and because Christ is called the high priest... His priesthood remains unchanging. He's not stepping out of that position. And we ought to be thankful of that because he's interceding on our behalf. Look at verse 25. I love this verse. In fact, this is my favorite verse in the chapter. In fact, it's probably the most quoted verse in chapter 7. Let's read the verse. It says, wherefore. Remember, whenever we come to the term wherefore, we need to pause and, and think about what it's here. And he says, wherefore. Remember, he has an unchangeable priesthood. This priesthood is not going to change. And because his priesthood doesn't change, and because God's word is unchanging, he, that is Jesus, is able. That means he has the capability also to save them to the uttermost that come unto God by him, seeing he ever liveth to make intercession for them. I like what one preacher said. He said, God, he said, Jesus is able to save all those from the guttermost to the uttermost. He says he can, he can save the trashiest trash of mankind and even the, the rich of the rich of mankind. God is able to. And listen, God can turn the trash into treasure and God can turn the treasure into trash. He's able to do it. Here's the thought I want to give to you from verse 25. God's promise of salvation is guaranteed because he does the saving. This verse reveals to us that he is able to save. That word save, it means to deliver. God is able to deliver. He can deliver you and me from any trial, and soon and very soon he'll deliver us from 2020. Amen. Praise God, from whom all blessings flow. But here, it's not necessarily saying that he's going to deliver us from an earthly trial. This is talking about how he's able to save us from our sins, uttermost. I like this word. This word uttermost, it literally means... In all entirety. <laughs> Think about that. 
When we say the word uttermost, we're meaning that God is able to save us in complete entirety. They're saying that he, he's not just going to save a portion of you. He's going to save all of you. And if you've come to know Christ as Savior, he has saved you, period. All of you. That is your spirit, your soul, and your body. Now, I don't know where you fall into the category right now, whether you're lost or whether you're found, whether you're saved or you're unsaved, or you've only been born once or you've been born twice. But whatever your case is, if you've never come to know Christ as Savior, it is time today to call out Him for that salvation deliverance. God's promise of salvation is guaranteed because He does the saving. I cannot save you, and you cannot save me. Only God can save us. Now, look at verses 26 and 7. Here in these verses... We literally read the gospel. We literally read the good news of Christ. And we see the message of the church. As I read these verses, I thought about this. God's promise of salvation is secured because Christ is our offering. God's promise of salvation is, is secured because Christ is our offering. Look at verse 26. It says, for such an high priest became us. That means he was clothed with humanity. God Almighty clothed himself with humanity. I just referenced Philippians chapter 2 a few moments ago and how Jesus entered into this world, and he did. And next month, I'm excited about it, we're going to celebrate the birth of Christ. We are. How he was born of a virgin. And then we're going to celebrate that that little baby didn't just stay in that manger. But that little baby boy grew up to be a man and died on the old rugged cross for our sins. And he became our offering. You know, as we think about offering, this is something that God, I think just the Holy Spirit just put in my mind a few moments ago. When I think about offering, I think about Cain and Abel. I think about how Cain brought his offering and how Abel brought his. There's the thing about the offering right here. Here's what I think of. I think that if, the, that if you try to bring your offering to God outside of the Lord Jesus Christ, he will say, depart from me, I never knew you. That is the only offering you can bring that will be acceptable in God's sights concerning salvation is his only son's sacrifice on the cross. And his offering is done because he became us. He says here he is holy. <laughs> he is set apart from us, as he's about to share in just a few moments. And this is harmless. Harmless. Holy. This word holy, it just, it gives us the idea that he's hallowed. I know that, that yesterday is a hallowed day for a lot of people. But while the world celebrates Halloween, I think about the 95 Thesis being nailed to the Catholic Church many years ago on October the 31st. And as interesting and a hallowed day as that is for, for the centuries that have gone by, it does not compare to the hallowedness of Jesus Christ and how sacred he is. He's harmless here. <laughs> One way to render this word is to say not bad. Another way is to say he's innocent. He was declared guilty even though they couldn't prove anything he did that was wrong. And it says he's separate from sinners. That's why he's the Messiah. He's not contaminated by sin like you and me. And then, in fact, separation, when we study that word, it, it presents this case that there's a wall of partition between us. 
And there is a wall of partition between man and God. And the only way to break down that wall of separation is Jesus. And so he's able to do that. And then it says here he's made higher than the heavens. As I read that, I thought about back in chapter 2 when, when the Bible talks about how, how what is man that thou art mindful of him? And what is the son of man? How he is made higher than the angels. I thought about that. And as I think about this, that Jesus, yes, he's created. Yes, he was made in a sense when he not, not created like, like he was, came into existence at one moment, but he was made of a woman just like we are. You know, we come out of our mother's womb and there he was made in likeness of man here in the flesh. And here he's made higher than the heavens. In other words, the Bible is just simply saying here is this, is that Jesus is greater than everything in this world, even the outer space and, and the heavens that contain all the constellations. And then it says here, who needs not daily as those high priests to offer sacrifices, offer up. It says first for his own sins and then for the people's. Jesus didn't have to do that. He didn't have to go in and sacrifice for his own sins because he didn't have sin. But he did once and for all sacrifice for the sins of the world. And then here it says when he offered up himself. Jesus willingly offered up himself for you and me. Therefore, we should offer up our lives as a daily sacrifice to him each day. Jesus is greater than Aaron because his priesthood provides eternal salvation. His priesthood is complete perfection. But, but let me share with you the third reason why I believe Jesus is greater than Aaron. Look at verse 28. As I read this verse, I wrote down this last and final thought. Jesus Christ is greater than Aaron because his priesthood is absolute consecration. His priesthood is absolute consecration. In verse number 26, we read about how he's separate from sinners. Here we see in verse 28, he is consecrated forevermore. Gives this presentation that he is set apart for all eternity, and he is. He is absolutely consecrated. He is holy. He is the Holy One. Notice verse 28. It says, For the law makes men high priests which have infirmity. This term infirmity, sometimes it can speak about like a sickness, and then sometimes it can refer to a weakness. Now here, we understand that every high priest of this world had infirmities of the flesh. There was weaknesses in their flesh. There were spots. There were blemishes. They were not flawless. And so here's the thought I, 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 I want to share with you. Without Christ, man will always be unholy. That is, if Christ continually says, I don't want Jesus as my Savior, we'll expect our world to live in chaos. We'll expect our world to live in sin. We'll expect our world to cast stones at each other. We'll expect all those things to happen. But here it goes on to say that, but the word of the oath, which was since the law makes the son. As I, as I read this, I thought about this, that not only without Christ, man will always be made, be made unholy, but with Christ, man can be made holy. You can be made holy in Christ. God can declare you to be righteous through the work he done on the cross. But then it says, who it's consecrated forevermore. Forevermore means for all eternity. The word consecrated in our English language, it means set apart. And here in this passage, it, it just means that, that it is finished and fulfilled and perfect and accomplished and completed. In other words, the work of Christ is totally complete and separate from all the work of the high priest in the Old Testament. Have you ever seen a picture of Jesus? Have you ever seen Jesus? Not face to face like we have. 
But imagine you have a picture of Jesus in your house. Just for the sake of this illustration, imagine with me. And in that picture, you see a man who has no blemishes on his face. Absolute amazing long locks of hair. And a really interesting garment on his um, body. It's interesting. Some people are so concerned that they have to have a picture of Jesus hanging up somewhere in their house. But they're not as concerned about having the work of Christ and the Holy Spirit reigning and hanging as king of their heart. And today I'm afraid. I'm afraid our world wants to leave Jesus hanging on that wall. I'm afraid our world wants to just look at Jesus on the wall and say, hey, I've got a picture of Jesus, but I haven't applied the work of Christ on the cross to my heart today. So today, which one do you want? Do you want the picture of Jesus to be hanging on the wall? And you can say, yep, that is the King of Kings. Or do you want Jesus Christ to be reigning as King of Kings in your heart today? Today, the message here is simple of, in chapter 7. This whole chapter is just devoted to saying Jesus is superior than the priestly role of Aaron. And that if he is not reigning as your priest and king in your heart, you will not enter into glory called heaven. Jesus is greater than Aaron. Because his priesthood is absolute consecration, it provides eternal salvation and it is complete perfection. Jesus Christ is the best there was, the best there is, and the best there ever will be. Hey guys, thanks so much for tuning in to the Jumpstart Your Faith podcast channel. As a token of my appreciation for you listening today, I would like to give you my free ebook devotional called Jumpstart Your Faith 30 Days to a Renewed Faith in Christ. Just go to www.pastorbrianratliff.com to download it. Please be sure to subscribe to this podcast channel to listen to more messages like today's. And if these messages have been helpful to you, please leave a review. If I could be of any help in your spiritual walk, please let me know by emailing me at pastorbrianratliff at yahoo.com. And one last thing, if you're in Roanoke, please consider joining us for one of our worship services at Clearbrook Baptist Church. Until next time, may God's blessings be upon you and have a great week.